And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 337 of This Old Marketing for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and, you know, a guy who is also not buying the Manchester United, Mr. Joe Pulitzi. You you know what? You would think that he would learn not to do that, that people take Elon seriously. By the way, what we're talking about, folks, is... Elon put a tweet out this week that said he was going to buy Man U, and the stock price went up. What was it, Robert? Seventeen. It was a lot. Yeah, it was like twenty percent. Yeah, almost twenty percent, I think. And of course, then he says, "No, oh, I'm joking." And it's just, yeah, come on. It, it's he's it, in the it, middle it, of a lawsuit because of that kind of thing. With right. Twitter. It's just. Don't you just have to imagine that his lawyers are just like, you know, they, they, they come into the office, they've got their coffee, they got their Taco Bell breakfast sandwich, and they sit down at their computer, and then they open it up and just go, sigh, oh, it's going to be one of those days, you know? It's just, I, I, I just have to imagine they're just so tired of what he's, like, all about. And then they, but then they realize, ah, these are all billable hours, so I guess yeah, it's exactly. fine. Yeah, exactly. Woohoo! We get we get <laughs> yeah. more work to do. But I really, you know, we talked about this a couple ep- episodes ago, uh, w- with the responsibility aspect of being a quasi celebrity. And right, you know, Prof right. G when he talked about and said, "Look, when I was sending out to a hundred subscribers, it really didn't affect things if I was a little bit wrong or I said something facetiously or whatever the case is, right? Sure, yeah. But he says, but now that I've got 200,000 subscribers to this newsletter, I have to make sure I've got fact checkers and I'm correct and I watch what I say. There is a certain kind of responsibility, even though, yes, we all have the freedom to say or should have the freedom to say what we want. But Elon doesn't feel any of that. He does not care about his effect on other people. From that standpoint. Well, that much is true. That 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 much I think is just empirically true at this joke. point. He is living in a in in a version of the Matrix. Well, it's his own it's his own sort of three dimensional dad joke, right? I mean, you know, he that's a good he, way to put it. He he thinks he's being very funny, and everybody else is sort of just rolling their eyes, going, "Okay, Elon, all right, all right, then, you know, okay." Well, the problem is you're affecting even so. If you say, "I'm going to buy Man U." You're you're affecting thousands of shareholders and millions of fans just by saying that. It's just incredibly irresponsible. Or maybe I'm just envious that I don't have three hundred billion dollars to, you know, say. <laughs> you know, he's got no f's to give, right? He really doesn't. Well, <laughs> you know what you what it makes me wonder is, is it. Is it the money at some point? Do you reach a level of wealth where that kind of behavior is almost predestined? And I'm 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 literally making this up as I go, so I don't have I don't have a point. So I'm literally just talking. But it seems to me that 
there is a there is a level by at which you reach where literally you go out and 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 look at your field and you find no f's to give right in other words you get to a point where it's like they they you know somebody made the point on another podcast and i don't remember which one it was but they said listen he could get you know a fine from the sec of 300 million dollars you know, for something that he did that was out of line, et cetera, et cetera. And for most people, for 99.999% of the world, that $300 million fine is, is meaningful. But for him, it's like a parking ticket. And so it's, it's almost, you know, for him, just doing it for the lulls, he, it, it doesn't matter. Because you get to a certain level of wealth where they, it just doesn't it just doesn't have any meaning anymore, and I just wonder philosophically if there's if there's if it starts to get into your head, it right? Absolutely, where it ha- it absolutely you know, does. It if so, I don't know if he looks at his net worth on a minute by minute basis, but you because you you threw out a big number, right? Three hundred million dollars is a lot of money to anybody, except for somebody like Elon. Right, he will see a he will see in the billions of dollars easily on a daily basis that his net worth will go up and down. And after you see that over and over and over again, anything below that, you're like, ah, I lose that in an hour. But I don't, you know, it's like somebody spending money to just go play 18 holes. It's right. It's not, it. So yes, you lose all perspective on somebody that has to pay the bills and somebody that has to take two jobs, and somebody has to put their kids through university. Like, you've got no idea of any of those things. Right. So, I, I mean, yes. so, so you do, he, he's lost all touch with reality because he's not in our reality. He's in a different reality. Right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And just to do the math, if, you know, at the, against $300 billion, you know, that $300 million fine is as if you had $100,000 and somebody said, oh, you owe me 100 bucks." you know, so. That's a real, like, yes, that's good for perspective know. purposes. Yeah, but it's just ridiculous. Anyway, I'm surprised, so. I'm if, surprised you started off with, with uh, the Elon as your quasi joke. I, I thought we were going, I thought we were going FBI raid or something. I, you know, I really well, felt. <laughs> no, I, I I feel like I feel like that that topic has been covered a little bit. There are plenty of jokes to be had for sure um, on the on the Mara Lago saga. No, you know, the, you know. Let's talk about. You want to talk about something serious? By the way, yeah. uh, thanks to we've had a couple new reviews this week, and both the reviews mentioned how we are their favorite football podcast. Which yeah. I didn't even know we were a football podcast, but we are. We haven't right. talked about it literally in in I don't think in ten episodes. I would say we, we haven't really lost, talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we've probably lost listenership. We should we should be a much more popular podcast in the fall because it's football season, and we get our football listeners back. Well, you know how we talked about doing the you know the multiple shows in a single feed. We could do special episodes where. You know, in the fall, we do literally a thirty-minute episode on football. I'll tell you like what. On let yeah, I'm li- I'll tell all of our wonderful listeners for those hey, like we'll we could do uh, like a draft selection special or something. <laughs> we could do st- the sleepers to twenty twenty two 
Sleepers by Robert and Joe. So like 90% of our audience would not tune into that. Yeah. But 10% would. 10% would. The, right, and we just tag it special in the feed, right? So put it out on like a you know Tuesday or something, and I think random, there's something to that. On a random to oh, I think so too. And and here's the the first episode is going to be why the Cleveland Browns still don't have a starting quarterback. That's, that's right. That's exactly what we're going to lean into. By the way, folks, we have not talked about this at all. Literally, literally, we're doing this live as as we record the show. We have not even thought about we haven't all thought about it but this is how we're thinking it through exactly this is how in front of the listeners this is how this whole podcast started you as you remember i know we're on a phone call and we finished it we said ah that should have been a podcast and next week it was that's right (laughs) that's right and it's it's been downhill since then so all strategy yeah almost uh by the way for for those have longtime listeners next year will be our 10th anniversary i know it's amazing which is which is wonderful and sad simultaneously it's not sad it's not sad it's absolutely delightful it, it's it ab- I, so I, I was i was a guest on a podcast this week actually and uh they were on their third or fourth episode um they hadn't even released the third or four i was like episode number three or four for them and they said, how long have you been doing it now? And I said, uh, it'll be 10 years next year. And we're on episode 337. And they were like, you could just see their eyes go, oh, really? <laughs> like, you know, I just sucked all the life out of their room. They were just like, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> you, you, yeah. And you, did you tell them, you know, you don't really hit your stride till episode 150. I so. did, actually. <laughs> I, I did, actually. I said, they because... Because they did ask, they said, they said, when did you feel like you finally had the show down? And I said, I don't know, episode oh, 50 or 60. And they were, and again, it was sort of like, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> it was I, very I, funny. I really do feel, okay, I know we have a show to do, but I really yeah. do feel like we have been doing better podcasts since we've come back. Because yes, there's no I, doubt. I believe, and I, I, this is my take. I don't know what we haven't talked about this, but I think my take is we simply don't care what other people think anymore. And I think before we did, we oh, were trying to grow the business, we yep. were trying to do some new things, and now we're like, eh, like, yeah. Is it's it really let Bartlett like, be Bartlett, right? I mean, it's that you know, for, that's a West Wing reference, but but you know, it's the it's you know, it's let Joe and Robert be Joe and Robert. We just sort of said. If people like it, people like it, and if they don't, they don't, and we're just going to go out and be us. And so we talk about stuff that we would have never talked about in 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 the previous incarnation. And I think that's, you know, I think our freedom has really uh, helped. I think I would I would agree. Uh, and then there's there, there's a swarm of people listening to this right now that disagree. They probably yeah, say, oh, of course. oh, bring back season two. It was <laughs> so amazing. Season two. Season two. We're like Game of Thrones. We are season eight of Game of Thrones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so bring back the, the Disney Apple prediction show. That was my favorite <laughs> back in Aunt two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I, I, I guarantee you our audience does not say ought to <laughs> <laughs> i do i do back in 1922 <laughs> no when my I do, I do that with my kids all the time when they talk about when you know anything before 
2010 and oh we did something or we went to a theme park or we went on vacation i say oh that was an aught eight yeah and they're like, <laughs> they're like they just hey, look at yeah. me they they don't even have to say boomer they just yeah. look at me they and just, the look is boomer right the audio comes out of their head it's like a little thought bubble boomer okay. last thing before we get out the yeah. show i went to see uh minor league baseball the other day uh with my wife and a, and a love lovely couple friends of ours are they all copying the Savannah Bananas now? Are no, they no, like, not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. Actually, I was a little bit disturbed. There was only about 200 people in the whole audience. But this was the Lake Erie Crushers, which is about 20 minutes from my house. We live in, in Cleveland proper, 20 minutes right. west of the Lake Erie Crushers. They they were playing the Schaumburg Boomers. And I'm like, really? Their team name is the Boomers? Like, And I get it how I guess you could boom it off the bat. But I sure. Course, There's yeah. a lot of negative connotations with boomers as well. And oh, I'd lean surprised. into that brand. See, I, if I were them, I'd be leaning into that brand. I, oh yeah, I think know. you could do. A, I think you could do a lot. Oh, well, so much. They the the Lake Erie Crushers lean into the brand because they have, for whatever reason, I never knew the West Side of Cleveland was a was was a place for grape harvesting and wine. It's more the east side, but it's whatever. Not, they call it's, it's it the not, Lake Erie it's, Crushers. It's not, and the, well, it's the mascot not, it's, is a great It's not. The mascot's I, I, a great I'm just telling you it's not. I know. <laughs> I know this. You know this. Everybody knows yeah. this, but the Lake Erie Crushers don't know it. Right. Because the they're grapes. I guess it's right, not a grape. It. I, yeah, it's a, I what's a it. bushel of grapes? A, a bunch, isn't a it? A bunch. A bunch of grapes. Yes. That's yeah. the mascot. And you see these a really bunch of sad grapes. You see these really sad looking guys. It's a fruit of the loom guy. Yeah. Walking around and they've got these deflated grapes. It's it's not <laughs> it's not good. Anyways, I think you're right about the Schaumburg. I think boomers. that's what my wife calls me, a deflated grape. All right. <laughs> but I think Let's, you and I could play on the Schaumburg boomers. We could. I'm sure. I'm sure. All right, let's okay. figure out what we're going to talk about here. We've got a great show, actually. Uh, it's going to have a little bit of a Web3 crypto theme, but uh, maybe only a little bit. Um, we are going to talk about uh, MailChimp, actually, and Intuit, and how they may be actually banning crypto newsletters and talk a little bit about their thinking there and what might actually happen for those people who have crypto-themed newsletters and using the MailChimp platform. We'll talk about Morning Brew and how they're building a content creator program and what we think that might actually look like and whether that's valuable or not. We'll talk about a new decentralized social network called Niche and see if it's actually going to do anything interesting. And we'll talk about Mark's new metaverse, of course, you know, that uh, Mark Zuckerberg guy, he's created a metaverse and <laughs> the reviews of the visuals, not so great. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. And we'll finish up, if we've got time, talking a little bit about the Ether merge um, that is coming up here and whether or not the Ether merge is going to be good for NFTs and content and marketing and Web3 and all that or what's going on here, make a little bit of sense out of it. I'm going to have a little bit of a commentary on one of my absolutely favorite all-time magazines finally coming back to print yeah. after 30 years. 
Uh, and then I'm going to rant a little bit about an article that talks about how uh, social media versus television is polarizing uh, the U.S. So stay tuned for that. And Joe, of course, will be ranting and ranting, raving a little bit about a possible solution for content burnout. Um, yes. All in all, a packed show, I think. A packed show. And we'll never get to it all because we just wasted 10 minutes of nonsense. But That's right. And none of it about NFL, really. That, I mean, if you true. think about it. That's true. Thank goodness. Not until the yeah. Browns get a quarterback. Okay. And then we'll done. do special episodes for that. Yeah. Right. The Browns quarterback situation is it's, that's a whole show in and of itself. Oh, my my wife yelled at me. We talked about the last episode when I was down on Garoppolo. And she said, yeah. Why are you down on Garoppolo? I said, I'm not down on Garoppolo. I'm down on the fact that we actually have to go through this process again. That's it. Uh, People yeah. can't. Well, I wouldn't be too up on Garoppolo either, but you know, that's a that's a whole other that's a whole other thing. I want Baker back. Yeah, I mean, that's... What's wrong with Baker? Know. He had nice commercials. He was funny. He's a good-looking kid. Why? Yeah, he's, he's going to be good. He's going to be good. You yeah. just watch. He's going to be good. Well, he'll, make, he'll be all pro this year. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right, all right. Let's get to our first story here, which comes to us courtesy of Decrypt, um, which is a itself a crypto uh, news uh, organization. And the headline here is that MailChimp, which of course is owned by Intuit, the financial services company, resumes crackdown on crypto newsletters, including Masari Edge. Uh, another round of unannounced account suspensions leaves crypto newsletter publishers scrambling to choose new providers. The article opens up by saying the email marketing platform MailChimp has been suspending the accounts of crypto-related content creators and media outlets this week. The list of affected customers includes self-custody crypto wallet Edge, crypto intelligence firm Masari, and Decrypt, which of course is the source of this story, which had been using MailChimps for its newsletter for more than four years. Uh, the quote from uh, the Masari founder, Ryan Selka, said, thank you for deplatforming some of crypto's most reputable brands in the past 48 hours. Uh, you're proving our point that MailChimp and all speech censors must be destroyed. A little dramatic, I think, but... Uh, there we go. What do you think about this, Mr. Polizzi? Um, you know, and uh, and I, you know, I guess into it saying no, no moss. Uh, well, th- this is the reason why crypto came about because of these large financial institutions basically telling everyone what they can and cannot do. And here's another one. And you may think, yeah, you're just Mailchimp, but as you said, Mailchimp is owned was purchased by Intuit, a very large traditional now, didn't used to be, but now is a very traditional financial institution. And they're saying, "No, we don't you can't talk about that stuff because we don't <laughs> we don't have any sir. Now I get it. There have there have been some situations of concern, but again, instead of MailChimp going out and just saying, okay, well, this newsletter, watch it, this one, they basically ban everything. And this unfortunately hits really close to home. As soon as this article came out, Laura Kozak, who runs operations for The Tilt, she sends me a note and she said, hey, do you have to be careful because my personal JoePolizzi.com newsletter is hosted on MailChimp? And as you know... Yeah. I talk about crypto all the time. I have, I have a token, a tilt coin token that I talk about on there. And they just haven't found us because we probably don't have enough readers of that newsletter. But uh, I'm, I'm actually in the process of switching because I have a feeling that as soon as they sniff about this, or maybe they'll, somebody will listen to this podcast from MailChimp, uh, they're going to, <laughs> to take us down. Um, 
the the problem that I have with this is is it, they don't know how to regulate it themselves, the bad actors, so they ban everything. This isn't just about crypto, right? This could be anything. It's what right. OnlyFans did when we covered it last year. It's like, oh, okay, everything's gone because we can't deal with it. So yeah, I, 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 even though Mailchimp's been talking about this kind of move for a long, they've been going this direction for a long time. I think this is sloppy, and there's a better way to handle it. And these, a bunch of these newsletters, I know a lot of the newsletters that they go, they went ahead and and basically said they deactivated. Uh, shame because they're really good newsletters. They're really professionally written, very informational. There's no shady things going on, but because they're involved in any, and that's what, if you go through, and this article goes through the whole thing, but basically MailChimp has a policy that if you are involved, the producer of the newsletter involved in the production, sale, exchange, storage, or marketing of cryptocurrencies, I'm reading uh, MailChimp's acceptable use policy right now, then they will ban you. Well, that's everyone in crypto. If you were involved in production, sale, exchange, storage, marketing, of, I mean, if you're at all involved in crypto in any way, then that includes you. That includes me. Includes you, too. And, yeah, by the way, right, cryptocurrencies, virtual currencies, and any digital assets related to initial coin offerings. Uh, We do not allow businesses that offer these types of services, products, or content. And so the way I read that is is pretty darn broad because if you read the 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 first uh, you know piece of that from their from their most recent tweet on the uh, idea, it basically says, well, cryptocurrency related information isn't necessarily prohibited. It can be sent as long as the sender isn't involved in the production, sale, exchange, storage, marketing of cryptocurrencies, which basically means, you know, as long as you're not involved in, you know, it's like Fight Club, right? You know, the first rule of Fight Club is that you don't talk about Fight Club. It's, you know, (laughs) the first rule of MailChimp is, you know, you don't talk about crypto. And, and, And so I don't, I don't really understand even why they're trying to obfuscate or make fuzzy, just lean in. Like if they're if they're not going to allow it, just lean in and, and, and not. I mean, they've been doing this apparently, kind of quietly since 2018. Yes. Um, and you know, it's just now that they're you know that they're starting to hit some of the more well known and, and bigger uh, and and bigger bigger companies here. And all of it, I think, if I had to guess, is one into it just doesn't want the they they just don't want the you know, the risk associated with being associated with, uh, the, the, like you said, the bad actors. Um, and you know, and, but their excuse that this is a deliverability problem. In other words, that talking about crypto and stuff affects their email deliverability is nope. I don't believe that one little bit. Yeah. That's silly. Yeah. They're, they're basically saying it's not worth it to them to, to be close. That's right. And they're, yeah, their legal team is all over this. Right. Right. It's like, eh, but the, the, my bigger concern, because, you know, as creators and content marketers, we've always talked about email being at the top of the subscription hierarchy because you have, you know, control over that first party data. The challenge with what MailChimp did with this, they didn't even let them back into the account so I could right. get my email addresses and I could port them out. So I'm I'm concerned that I like with with the, the random newsletter, my newsletter, 
I'm like, how quickly do I need to move on this? Because tomorrow they could ban me from going in and I don't have access. And that's almost feels like it's a social network. It, yeah. What's something Twitter or Facebook would do. Yeah. So it's, it's scary. Um, where, so you, I, then I get you know I go down the rabbit hole and I'm thinking okay well we've always been saying email providers, but still email providers are centralized they do have control over this so you have to be concerned. Uh, that's where there, there's maybe down the road there's there's going to be another blockchain option for this that we have some more control over it. Um, and the, the last thing I'll say is when this article came out I reached out to my friends at Beehive as well as ConvertKit and they both said something to the effect of we welcome all crypto publishers and creators <laughs> of course they to did. our to our yes. email marketing services so they're all rubbing their hands saying yeah they're let's like go please well they all jumped on the twitter man i'll tell you what when you when you saw a lot of these uh, uh crypto experts with the newsletters and they were getting on twitter and they said oh my god they blocked me out what do i do boy you saw <laughs> we'll you saw you. all the service. By the <laughs> right. way, um, Constant Contact I've heard is in the same boat as Mailchimp. They they don't. So you have Mailchimp and Constant Contact on the one side, and then you have everyone else that right now is saying. Well, it'll be interesting up. to see how some of these other companies, especially a company like Salesforce or other large institutional providers of of email services, react to this kind of thing, right? Because you know, Salesforce is famously going down the crypto road, you know, launching an NFT program and, and all kinds of things. You know, it'll be interesting to see how how those kinds of things. So it seems so. Uh, it's almost like uh, in 1990, if you were 95 or 97, you were talking about the Internet, they would ban you. Right. I mean, that's right. It's I get I know I get it that that they think that people are going to pitch suspect cryptocurrencies, but it's such, as you said, it's such a, a broad paintbrush they have this with. It's almost like if you're involved in it in any way and you talk about it in any way, oops, you're done. That's right. So whatevs. Goodbye, MailChimp. Uh, it was, it was nice. It was nice working with you. <laughs> wow. Oh, I could, but I'll be moving. I paid you a lot of money. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm, I got to do Mailchimp confession right now, and now I know you need it. Time for a sponsorship break. Be back in a bit. So the sponsor of this episode of this old marketing is Zapier. Now I've heard about Zapier because they sponsor quite a few of the podcasts that I listen to. So go podcast advertising. Anyway. As part of the sponsorship, they made a little ask of us to actually try using Zapier before we promote the heck out of it. Small enough ask, I thought. So basically, Zapier is supposed to help you be more productive by tying your apps together and creating simple tasks, which I learned are called Zaps. So I signed up. Now for my Zap, I wanted to keep track of all my calendar appointments into a spreadsheet and then put the name of the person I'm meeting with, their email address, and the date together automatically. Now, I've always wanted to do this as part of lead scoring. Basically, a meeting with me means something important happened, and I wanted to keep track of this. It took me five minutes to set this up. Now, it automatically populates a spreadsheet for me. And believe me, if I can do this in five minutes, you can do it in three. It's super easy to understand. 
So now, unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm a believer. And I have a bunch of things I want to do with Twitter and Discord to help me be more productive. Seriously, check it out. Go to zapier.com slash T-O-M to try it today for free. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash T-O-M. And please use the code so they continue to sponsor this old marketing podcast. Thank you. And now back to the future award-winning marketing and media podcast, This Old Marketing. Thanks for listening. MailChimp confession. (laughs) All right. That's our cue to move on to our next story, which comes to us courtesy of Axios. Uh, Somebody who's not banning uh, crypto from their vocab, uh, which is the Morning Brew crew. Uh, They are apparently, as the headline says, Morning Brew building a creator program. The article opens up by saying Morning Brew, the business media company that caters to millennials, has launched a creator program that allows independent personalities to work for the company full time while maintaining separate and distinct products and brands. The program will help Morning Brew expand into niche areas like personal finance, entrepreneurship, and productivity, said Austin Reef, CEO of Morning Brew. It will also help the company continue to expand into business verticals outside of newsletters. Uh, The company currently works with seven creators, all of which are on Morning Brew's payroll full-time, but the CEO has declined to provide details on how the creators are being compensated differently from full-time reporters, but he alluded to the fact that they each have unique deals. Uh, Some creators, including Katie Gotti, a 26-year-old podcaster and personal finance writer, have brought their existing brands to Morning Brew to grow them with the support of Morning Brew's infrastructure. The article goes on to talk a little bit about some of the other ones uh, and basically talking about how, in the bigger picture, traditional news companies are really struggling to find this right balance between elevating their own brands uh, and the brands of the journalists that work for the company. What say you, Mr. Polizzi, about this from the content creator's perspective? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I don't know if this is really news. I mean, we've known that they've been doing this. Uh, by the way, this show covers content from a media operator all the time. That's Jacob Donnelly. And Jacob Donnelly, as far as I can tell, has this deal. Uh, he works full-time right. at Morning That's Brew. Right. on the B, I think of the B2B side. And yep. also has a, uh, a media operator email newsletter. Um, they So I don't know if there's any formality. All I can say is it sounds like a really good farm system for them. You already have people that are working full time. And, and you tell them instead of Google saying 10%, go work on anything. You're like, hey, 20%, go build us some new stuff. And we'll get a deal that if it gets enough audience, we can actually launch another newsletter or launch another niche audience or something like that. I mean, right now it's only seven. It's not really a thing. It's not It's not as formal as what you're seeing HubSpot do with their very aggressive creators program where they're going out and doing deals and saying, like, we are going to buy a piece of you or help you launch your whole thing, and then at the end of the day, you, you could be a HubSpot podcast or whatever. It's it's a little bit different. So I don't know if Morning Brew's going to go that direction, but, I mean, who who hasn't launched a creator program? Right. That's right. Well, this is, this is basically a press release looking for a job description, right? I mean, so it's basically what they're saying is is that they're hiring people <laughs> and they'd like to hire some really high profile content creators. <laughs> so I, I think the news here is is, you know, only news in the sense that 
you know, Morning Brew is hiring. <laughs> so if you feel like working for Morning Brew as a journalist and you're going to want to work out a deal with them um, that includes, you know, your W-2 paycheck plus, you know, maybe some bonus thing and, you know, some other deal. Great. Go, you know, yeah. go work for Morning Brew. It's going to be it's going to be I, I think this is, you know, this is basically somebody in HR went, ooh, you know, if we position all of our new hires as a content creator program, we'll get higher level people applying for the job. And, you know, that I, I think it's I, it's so kudos to them. I, I don't mean to make it sound uh, derogatory at all. I, I, I think it's a it's a smart marketing idea from an HR perspective. But that's all this is. It's a lot smarter than when I was in traditional media and any side projects were frowned upon in traditional B2B media. I'm, I'm no, a number of really smart editors and journalists who had their little side blogs that they were start, starting, and they got poo-pooed really quickly. Saying, well, oh. the way I read this, by the way, is, is that, you know, all your base are belong to us, which is, you know, your side projects now you know, belong to us. Well, that's where you have to be careful as a creator getting into this. So I would wonder what was the ones that you said, what was the example of Katie Gaddy? Katie Gaddy. So yeah. Katie Gaddy, she brings her existing brand to morning brew. Who owns that's that? That's right. Now? Does Katie own that or does morning brew? There's, uh, you know, that's the interesting thing. So, I mean, I think when you reading between the lines, when the CEO says, you know, well, I declined to provide details on how the creators are compensated differently from full-time reporters, but I'm alluding to the fact that they each have unique deals. I think that's exactly that. I think some of them are probably getting, you know, a big, a nice big bonus check that says, by the way, we, we now own this, you know, content brand that you've created and we're just going to fold you into the Morning Brew brand. And others are saying, okay, you know, we want you and we want you as part of your, you know, we're going to hire you. But yeah, you go ahead and do your own side hustle thing and we'll just mm-hmm. leave that over there. And that's where it's tough, right? Because you're looking at these large media companies or tech companies that they're dangling this beautiful golden carrot in front of you saying, oh, you can come over here. We got the infrastructure. We got the marketing. We're going to get you all set up. It's going to be wonderful. But there are some downsides, and I think the big downside to that is they might actually take IP ownership over your stuff. So yeah, which is not, by the way, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, you're right. If you're if you're if you're if you're looking to flip your you know very small little business that you've built and you know want a full time gig, right? And you're 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 ready to rock and roll, you know. But I think to your point, which is you got to be careful about making, you know, going into this and go into it with eyes wide open that they're not looking to amplify you. <laughs> you know what they're I mean? They're not doing not... it out of the kindness of their heart. <laughs> exactly. They're doing it because it financially you know, makes sense to them. This isn't because they're passionate about the creator economy. <laughs> 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 Let's just be very clear. <laughs> yeah, you never see, uh, you know, LinkedIn launches, you know, one billion dollar creator fund because they right. just want to support <laughs> they the just creators want, out they, there, right? They just want <laughs> they just want people to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we believe it was the right thing to do sharing yeah. billion dollars with these creators. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. Let's move on to our next story here, which is uh, a good one actually. Um, this comes to us courtesy of Fast Company. 
the sort of juggernaut of investigative journalism. Not. Uh, I don't know why I'm bragging on Fast you Company. You don't but like there Fast we go. Company. You, I, you know, I find it. Fast Company very puffy these days. It used to be sort of, comp, you know, sort of a little more biting and, and critical, but it feels like all of their articles are so puffy these days. Anyway. The article opens up by saying, huge advertising-based general-purpose social networks aren't the high-growth cash cows they once were. (laughs) See, already, I'm going, yes, they are. They still are. They really very much are. Anyway, uh, (laughs) as Facebook's recent growth numbers would suggest, anyway, many consumers, it turns out, says the article, would rather spend their time watching short-form videos than sharing memes and hitting like buttons. And new restrictions on user tracking have made it harder for mass-market social networks to target ads. The founders of a new social network called Niche believe the next generation of social networks might cater to online communities formed around more specific interests, such as hobbies or creator businesses. I think the first run of social networks was to connect everyone en masse. It's your high school friends, your family. It's a very large swath of connections and with very little in common, says Niche CEO Christopher Guzinski, who formerly held C-level positions at both Tinder and Bumble. But I think the trend in social networking right now is to get smaller, to get more intimate, to get more relational status of everybody in the group. So on the new Niche app, which became available in the App Store Tuesday, you would find groups formed around rock climbing or around people who enjoy collecting Star Wars memorabilia. Eventually, Niche will host groups based on many different things, including music artists, business events, etc. Importantly, Niche will not make money by showing ads to people in the groups, points out CTO Zavin Nahapit. Chan, uh, wow, I'm going to butcher that last name, uh, the other co-founder who spent years as a senior engineering manager at Facebook. Rather, say the founders, Niche is set up so that the platform makes money when it helps creators make money or when it helps users find valuable creator content. The article goes on to describe how they're going to monetize it using blockchain technology and, uh, you know, some fairly vague sort of forecasting about how you know you the people might make money on it when you join a club uh and using the blockchain for identity and and all those kinds of things what 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 make you i signed up for the beta by the way have not gotten in yet um but so i can't report firsthand on what i've seen but um what do you think of this yeah i well in theory it sounds good you and i had a conversation before if, if you actually did have to sign up with like a digital wallet and that was your identification instead of integrating it with your Google account or your email, I would really like that. I, I That would be advantageous to get away from the email address and then you just give them whatever information you want. I, I like the fact that, hey, they could build this whole in economy with a token. That could be something. I don't know if creators could leverage that, but I'd also if you're a creator on there, then it's not really your token. You're is it all grouped together? I have so many questions. I don't even know how this would work. The long and short of it, if I had to guess, 99% this is not going to work right now. I don't think we're ready for something like a, a network like this to work. Um, just It just feels a diamond a dozen these days. Who knows? I, I agree. I, I agree 100%. Um, and... It should be noted that when I signed up for the beta, the first thing I had to do was give over a, a cell phone number that could get a code to be able to, you know, complete my application um, to get in there, which didn't include, by the way, any other 
personal information, you know, just it wanted my name and whatever, whatever I wanted my quote unquote username to be. Um, and then, uh, and so it was maintaining that I was who I said I was in terms of not a bot, basically, um, by associating it with a cell phone number. But I have no idea if that cell phone number is going to become my unique identifier in their database, um, which would allow them to do, you know, all the, you know, hashtag all, all the things when it comes yeah. to ad targeting or, or content targeting or, you know, tracking my behavior on the site, et cetera, et cetera, which to me, um, I get it, you know, I think, and I don't disagree by the way that I think, you know, so Facebook for me, quite honestly, is probably 80% of the value I get out of Facebook. Eh, maybe a little less than that. Let's call it 60% of the value I get out of Facebook these days is the groups um, that I belong to that are, you know, affinity groups, right? You know, whether it's my, my SoCal hiking group or my writer's group or, you know, at one point I had there was a speaker's group I was a, a part of, you know, and marketing groups that I'm part of. And, you know, almost all of the interaction that I have on Facebook is through groups through private groups. Um, so I get it, you know, uh, you know, and by the way, the other 40% being, you know, seeing pictures of my nieces and nephews and, you know, family and, you know, friends and on their vacation and pictures of their dog and stuff like that. So I see the need for this, but I think you're right. I don't think anybody's ready for signing up with a wallet yet. I mean, the number of people that I know in my personal sphere that have even have digital wallets right now are is small well, which small, is why they just number. which is why they ask for your cell phone number right of course they're not yeah they're anything else right. at this point but the, that's right but the so just take this show we've covered okay two, what shall i do with it no <laughs> but but in these types of networks new apps yeah. we've covered two in the last two three that's years right that have gotten yes. any traction at all all the two are Clubhouse, and the yep. second one was Be Real, and the Be That's Real right. one is that. So, th- of all those new products and new networks that are launching, there's only been a handful, very small, that I've actually been able to break through outside of the new stuff that Twitter and Facebook and Insta, you know, and all the, and Google. They're all just they've got their. I mean, how many do we need? It's very hard right. to break through as an independent. Well, I think you have to displace one, right? Now you're you're now in the market saturation where where you know, I mean, that's what TikTok is doing so successfully, right? They're not adding on to the number of social networks that you that you you know that you spend time with. They are displacing one or two or five, right? And so that's what you have to you have to come in and do is you have to come in and displace. And so when you're launching something like you know, this niche network, which again, I, th- I, I think the idea behind it, you know, that they're going to focus in on affinity groups is an interesting one, um, which is, you know, arguably what, you know, a clubhouse should have done. Yes. Um, and, you know, and, and try and displace groups because the group experience on Facebook is better than the group experience on just about, you know, the communities thing on Twitter is kind of lame, I think. Um, and the uh, group experience on LinkedIn is not good at all. Um, and so the Facebook one is probably the best, but it's probably also the easiest to displace right now for consumer-oriented focus, right? Because 
Discord, quite honestly, has done a piss poor job. I mean, Discord is just awful. Um, you know, and and now and I can say that now as a heavy user of Discord, it is just it is not good for those who are not into sort of that kind of interface. Um, but so th- I think there's an opportunity to displace social groups online and create a great, you know, set of uh, places for tribes, quote unquote, to to collect and communicate and have fun and get interesting information from each other. But I'm not sure doing it through a wallet is the right well, approach. No, I would agree. I would agree. Not not yet. But I think maybe there maybe you have a you might have a point, Robert. Oh, it's hard for me to say that. <laughs> because of the fact that you have Instagram going away from social networks to social to content discovery. Because what's TikTok? TikTok's not a social network. It's a content really, discovery right? platform. It's like YouTube. Yeah, it's like YouTube. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And who are the who are arguably right now who are the most two successful uh, right now is TikTok and YouTube. There's really nothing around your group aspect. So may, maybe you're right. Maybe it's just there's just not a good one yet, and and this niche can fill a niche or an, a niche or however you pronounce it, a niche. <laughs> niche, niche, niche. I Do you ever say you always say, see, I always say niche in respect niche. for my European brethren out there. Yeah, um, I say niche. And, but if you're in like the Northeast, you'd say niche. Yeah, maybe. I or, grew up saying you, niche, and then I realized that niche is it's not that's not the way it's pronounced in Europe. It's niche. Right. Yeah, which is gonna say if you say niche, you're just wrong. <laughs> it's not a it's not a question of preference. It's just not the way it's pronounced. Um, <laughs> okay. It's yeah, good to know. There you go. Good to yeah. know. No more niche. There you go. It's like GIF or GIF. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, let's not start that. Let's right. not go down that road. All right. Let's uh, look at our next story here, which uh, is a fun one. Um, it comes to us courtesy of Forbes of all places. Um, although there are a number of, of places that are actually reporting on this. Um, the headline is, does Mark Zuckerberg really not understand how bad his metaverse looks? Uh, this comes courtesy of Forbes, as I mentioned, and it opens with literally a, a screenshot of a Twitter uh, post that Mark has put up there that says, we're launching Horizon Worlds in France and Spain today. Looking forward to seeing people explore and build immersive worlds and bringing this more into countries soon. And the image he posted is just, it's just, you know, it's just not good. Um, and so uh, it is second, people then... It is Second Life-ish. life-ish. Like, it, it, it is, remember it, Second Life? It's it not like even second as good life. as Second Life. Yeah, it's not even as good as Second Life. Um, but then, so the Twitter sphere blew up, of course, um, posting all kinds of, um, you know, memes and, you know, <laughs> interesting uh, pictures uh, making fun of this. But basically, the article goes on to explain how, you know, h- h- the metaverse that he's building is just, you know, I mean, if I had if I had to put a headline on it, it would be that 1998 called and wants its metaverse back. Um but what do you think about this? I mean, you know, is is this even? I mean, they're putting so much money into this, and so much of their betting the company on this. You would think that every single thing they put out would be amazing, right? I mean, you would think that they've they've got to build excitement for this, and they're just not. Well, okay, 
I'm going to continue to assume that regardless of some of the things said about Mark Zuckerberg, he's probably a brilliant person. He's very intelligent. Oh, I have no right, doubt right. about His that. His intelligence is probably off the charts. Yes. So it... That doesn't mean he's a good marketer. No. No, but he... This can't... This can't be what Mark Zuckerberg thinks the metaverse is. This can't be. And by the way, from what I've heard about Horizon Worlds, which is you know their metaverse platform, if you will, it's not doing well at all. No, it's like not I've heard the same. Anyone. So, yeah. the, so I've... why are they launching in France and Spain today, which is the whole thing, when the the one in the U.S. isn't doing very well? Like, what am I missing? So, uh, no, I think yeah. the metaverse that my idea of a metaverse, when somebody asked me, it's it, they're they're virtual worlds like Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite. Those are the things that I think about. And it's not I'm going to take my digital self and do a, a, a fist bump with Neil Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson or whatever he was doing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which looks that's this right. hideous that they're trying to fist bump. Both wearing Oculuses, apparently, in the real world. Yeah, I don't get it. What, what's going on? You know. Yeah, you know, Zuck. It, it, what, what's, Zuck yeah, I, what's Zuck doing it, here? You know, here's the only thing I can think of, which is the the calculus that they're, that they're making is that, you know, they need to get traction fast. And so rather than focusing on depth they're going to focus on breadth um and so in other words they're they're it's almost the literal you know this happens a lot in marketing when you've got a new product right you know do you go wide and broad and just and figure out where the market is or do you spend the time to be wrong in certain cases about where your market is and go niche and deep and it's a classic debate right with any new product is 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 how do you how do you roll it out, you know? And and you know, Apple is classic at this, right? You know, when Apple first came out with their with their you know their all of their products, they were extraordinarily niche. You know, basically the you know the old joke um, was that you only had an Apple if you were in college, if you were in you know education, or you were an artist. That's it. You know, all the business people, every every other, you know, person on the planet, and this was true, used a Windows PC. And, but then what nobody noticed was that Apple quietly sort of began to become the sort of product that creative people used and that students used. And when those students became business people they continued their loyalty to the brand and so on and so forth and that's how they grew their you know marketing base now that's an overly simplistic analysis i know but but you know for the sake of time this is the same kind of thing we're looking at here in the metaverse yeah. the choice is you go you build something beautiful but small and go after a very niche market and try and develop depth and 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 real differentiation in that niche market or you go broad and you try to make yourself mcdonald's and, you know, it, that's the, I mean, you know, uh, they've chose, clearly chosen the latter and are not, and not even doing that well at that, right? I mean, they're, you know, they're building McBurgers 
and nobody's really enjoying the McBurgers either because, you know, it's it's just not that good. So the last thing I'll yeah, I I, I like the author's comment on this article that just the, the last paragraph, first first sentence, last paragraph says it, this is just embarrassing. It's just, I think that that's right. That's, that's how I feel about what's going on. Cause I don't really understand it. But the, the final thing that I'll say is if you look at, you know, the amazing book, snow crash or ready player one, when people go into whatever the metaverse is, they don't look like themselves. Nobody wants to go looking like themselves. They, right. So why is he going looking like him? And every, every picture here, everybody's trying to mimic what they would look like. No, I, I want, you know, I want to be like an orange or, you know, like, <laughs> right. I don't right. want to or, be a person. Or a dragon or, you know, a, or a space person yes. or an alien or a, yeah. I mean, you want to be, you want to be a, a represent, your avatar is your representation of, of who you believe yeah, you like, are, the not Dread who Pirate you actually Roberts. are. Right. Like, yeah. That's what we want to do. By the way, I just got a text here. It's not that I was checking the web while you were talking. And you had wonderful things to say, by the way. But breaking news, Deshaun Watson gets 11 games. So A suspension, a, a, a 11, 11 game games, suspension. And has, Deshaun Watson, 11-game suspension, fine, and has, $5 million, set and settled personal conduct case with the NFL. So it, It's done. It is it's a done, done. It is a done deal as of 12.04 Eastern time. August eighteenth. So who are you gonna sew? Oh, there you go. So who 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 do you think starts? Um, I I thought it was Jacoby Brissett. I thought it probably will be, but it, probably but, will be. Yeah, that's what I think. I think I think they're hoping that Jacoby Brissett can go six and five, and then <laughs> right, <laughs> right, uh, and then and then Deshaun's gonna and come then in Deshaun's and take gonna them, come in and go oh, and go oh, and six five. and zero oh, oh, yeah. and five. Or five, yeah, five and zero, right? <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to throw that information out because at the beginning okay. of this podcast, people would be like, "Oh, he didn't hear the news." Well, we just heard the news, so there, yeah, there you go. Yeah. To get that, I have no, the, the, I have breaking no news. feelings either way about this. There's yeah, no, I'm, that's, I'm all, I'm all out of love. I'm so lost. I'm without all out you. of love. I can't live without you. Oh, by the um, way, one of the greatest albums of all time. It is a great album. It is, it air is supply great. Um, greatest little, hits is, it's air is supply, right? Yeah. Incredibly yeah. underrated. It is Oh, absolutely. One of the great songwriting you, bands. Moves yeah. me. I'm not a, I'm not too proud to say that 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 album it moves me. Oh, that was that was uh, in the 80s I I wore that album out. Yeah. Breakups with girlfriends, you know. Oh, it just, you know. Yeah, but, you know out. the good news is good or bad. It could be the most amazing news that ever happened, or it's your worst day. Air Supply. Air Supply. Okay. There you go. There Air is. Supply. Okay. Yeah, it's good. That's yeah. Yacht Rock at its finest, folks. Oh, it's my re- Really. Uh, they're, yeah, they're almost is. to the next level of Yacht, yacht Rock. It's like, yeah. it's like Zuck's metaverse version of Yacht Rock, whatever that would be. Yeah. Air Supply. There you go. There you go. All right. I'm calling an audible here, and we're not going to talk about this ETH merger um, on this particular well, episode. I think we should just, yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. How about that? People Absolutely. There's a up. great article. It's from, a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal coming for anybody who's interested in Web3, if, you if you're not yeah. aware of it. If you're already into yeah. Web3, you already know this is 
been in the works that's for right. six years. But that's it's supposed right. to be coming in mid-September. But there's a great explain, two great explainers um, that we'll that we'll link to in the in the show notes for that. Um, so now we get to our rants and raves, where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that we love and makes us feel like we just. Uh, we just skated around and found a starting quarterback, or those of us who are finding that we have an eleven-game suspension ahead of us. Um, what do you think? Do you want to go first? Yeah, I have I'll, two I'll quick things, first. but you know, mine, okay, you go first. Mine's very. I've been. I worked on this article yesterday. I did a podcast on the Content Inc. podcast about this content burnout thing, but I wanted to bring it up here because, well, first of all, I've been getting a number of emails from creators that are at that stage of content burnout. They're really struggling right now. I don't know if it's just because of everything going on or it's just the regular process. It is a very challenging thing to put out content on a regular basis. At the same time, and I'll put this in the show notes, uh, there are a number of creators, like big name creators and streamers that are coming out and saying, I need a break. So the one that I'll put in the show notes is from uh, a woman named Pokimane. She's, she's a very popular creator on Twitch. And obviously, Pokemon stuff, I, I would think I'm not familiar with it, but basically she said, I got to take off. I can't do this anymore. I need to f- do a mental reset. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And so I need proper breaks are important to one's health, and they wanted to, to take some time off. Now, you and, you and I know how important consistency is, and we talked about this before the show as well, where it took us years to get our audience back after you and I, well, mostly because of me, after I took my hiatus and we came back. So we, we left the show at the end of 17 and came back in 19. So what were we a, over a year, right? When we were yeah. off the air, just a little more, like 14 months, 14 or something. months. And it took yeah. us a long time. And there are still people out there that don't know we're back. That's right. So we talk about, that's why I really believe consistency is important. You can't take time off you have to set a process in place work with freelancers do what you have to do to set a regular schedule set your editorial calendar do what you need to do but here so here's my take and here's where i think that there might be an option i have seen a number of creators from the get-go start working with seasons or series, which at I got to tell you, I was never a big fan of. I still might not be a big fan of, but it seems to be working. So I follow Adam Levy, who's a Mint uh, podcast creator of the podcast Mint. It's all about uh, Web3 creators. And he's on season six right now and basically does podcasts in seasons. So does whatever, 10 episodes, and that's a season, does another one at a different time, has breaks in between, and he sets that expectations with his audience. And I'm wondering if, you know, almost like Stranger Things or Ted Lasso, is it possible that creators, if they set the expectations to do this, don't have to say, look, I'm going to do a podcast every Monday since the, till the end of time? Or could they say, I'm going to do season one, season two, season three? And I want to get your take on this, Robert, because... I all, there also is a positive to selling sponsorships for this from a creator standpoint because I think it's easier to sell sponsorships to a season or to a chunk of episodes than just selling into, hey, would you buy four episodes? It's because you can do a season around a theme or you could, you know, you could do something very specific. So anyways, I thought that maybe an answer to content burnout, which seems to be rampant lately, could be this idea of seasons or series. 
So then what do you think? I think that if you do, if, if, if you're, if you're, it, it all depends on how you're structuring your show. And let me explain what I mean by that. It is, I don't think, for example, us, right? We're a new show. Were we to say, hey, we're going to start doing seasons now. And, uh, you know, I mean, from a, from a meta description, we could do, you know, you know, literally winter, spring, fall, summer, and, and call those seasons if we wanted to structure that way, but not taking breaks ever, right? Um, you know, this, if you're doing a season, it assumes that you're going to run for three months and then you're going you're gonna to take some time off and either come back the following year or, or you know, whatever, it, however many seasons you're going to run in a year. I mean, like, you know, America's Got Talent does like, you know, five, five seasons in a year. They, they take the, like three weeks off and then they're back. Yeah. Um, so it, my, my point being, you're, the seasons are these days are much more around the show. You know, in other words, if I do a show like Serial or if I do a, a some sort of crime podcast where there's a seven episode arc, uh, doing a season makes total sense because then you're you're selling the arc, right? You're yeah. selling the 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 package of episodes that are connected together and structuring them as a season makes sense. If you're doing a weekly news show or if you're doing a weekly interview show, I think doing seasons makes zero sense at all. And if you're and if your only excuse is that you want to have a break because you have burnout, then rationalizing that you're going to do seasons, fine, rationalize away, but don't don't expect your audience to follow you or, or to keep up with you. I think you run the risk that we that happened to us, which is people find other things. Um, you know what you're trying to create with seasons is digital scarcity. You're trying to create the idea that I'm creating a package story that is only going to run for seven episodes, and then I'm going to do something completely different, maybe in the same vein, maybe the same kind of story, maybe something completely different. But the reason that you subscribe is because you're interested in the package, not the individual episode. You know, I'm just, by the way, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm episode eight, you know, which they call chapters in Sandman. And I, you know, probably next week will be my rant slash rave. I'll, I'll, you know, tease it that way on, uh, on Sandman as a, as a, as a series. Um, but I have to tell you, and this may project a little bit of where I'm going with this, the, you know, Sandman is a, is a huge piece of work that you could break up by seasons. The, the, the real, the, the real question is how are you chopping things up? Yeah. And so, that's that's where I think I land on your on your on your topic, which is if you're only doing it to rationalize the fact that you want to take a break, you know that fine, do that, but don't expect the audience to follow you. It, no, yeah, you're right, and I think with a news program, absolutely. But as you know, and there, this is I'm gonna I'm gonna rant a second about Prof G. He has episodes, so he he took he decided to take August off. Yeah. So he's filling right. his episodes with other interviews and things like that. I think they're not nearly as good as what he was doing. I think they're lackluster episodes. I would rather him not do it. Take the month off. You know, set the expectations that you're coming back. You, you might risk losing. But I think with we, I mean, for, for uh, quarterly magazines, we used to run them as special, like everyone was a special episode. You could do that. 
in almost everything except for news. You yeah. could you could position. So I think your point is and is valid. But I but we, I like we, your point. We've and done it. I mean, look, we've we've not we've done this for ten to, years. But not yeah, not as a, as a, as an excuse to say, oh, I got content burnout. But to say that if you if you position it this way, you might not have content burnout. That's right. If you do this, it, it, it's it's a right that it, what you get is a is 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 the benefit of thinking it through and planning. Yeah, you and I every year, you know, we definitely take time off during the holidays, right? You know, pretty much the month of December, but we plan for it, and so we do special episodes that run, you know, that run either the week before Christmas and the week after Christmas, and yeah. sometimes even into the first week of January depending on where we're going to be vacation holiday wise, et cetera, et cetera. So there's new content available. There is a new show available. It might just be slightly different than our normal show. And what we attempt to do is not just fill the time. I think that's the problem you're having with Prof G is that he's just, he just picks some old stuff and that's that what I felt. Going. That's, how, that's right. how I felt because I'm like, Oh, I don't even, I started listening. I'm like, Oh geez, that, come on. Yeah, that's right. I, I agree. So, but planning ahead and then allowing ourselves the time to take away, yeah, that's, I, I think that, you know, you're giving the audience new content. The being, I mean, we, I don't know how many times we have to say this, the one, the one thing that we've learned over doing this for 12 years is consistency is way more important than anything else. It is just the consistency that keeps your audience. It is, it is that it. You can have a bad show. You can have two bad shows. You can have a bad blog post. But if you're not consistent, you will lose them. I think that your people underestimate time. Yep. Like you you just if if you're around long enough and you keep delivering, that's that's the best predictor <clears throat> of building building an audience at a business. The, it truly the issue is. is most people just don't make it to two, three, four years. They that's just right. give up before then. So, That's right. Yeah. That's right. All right, you have uh, rants and raves. I do. Yeah, I do have a. I've got a bit of a rant and then a, and then a and then a huge rave. Um, so my rant, just to get that out of the way, is an article that we'll link to in the show notes coming from theconversation.com. Interesting site, by the way. I wasn't really that familiar with it. Um, somebody sent me the article, uh, and the headline was basically, "Don't be too quick to blame social media for America's polarization. Cable news has a bigger effect uh, that this new study has found." And basically, you can go read the article, but the study, basically the headline is that the study suggests that television, not the web, is the top driver of partisan audiences and the segregation among Americans. And so they have four findings, basically, in this very long article of the research. So finding number one, they say that 17% of Americans are politically polarized. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Basically, 8.7% to the left, 8.4% to the right. Basically polarized on the extremes based on their TV news consumption. And then what they say is that's way more than in online. Okay, Research finding number two was that the TV news consumer is much more likely than web consumers to maintain the same partisan news diets over and over and over and over, over time. Finding number three, basically, more, uh, it's not just left and right, that there is in, you know, what happens is, is that there are seven broad buckets of TV news. It's not just, you know, Fox or MSNBC. There are these archetypes that they find along the spectrum where these TV audiences are gathering. 
And then finding number uh, four is that Americans are actually turning away from national TV news. Generally speaking, people are turning off TV news, broadcast news especially, and moving into the cable news or sort of these extreme areas. Basically, then they bury the lead, I think, and they, 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 they basically say there's this counterintuitive finding from all of these findings that the overall TV news audience is shrinking, but partisan TV news is growing. In other words, they say the audience as a whole of the you know the sort of the radical extremes is the is in the process of being distilled. This to me is the key thing in the finding of the study because if you just read the article, you come away with the idea that all these audiences are the same, but TV's doing more polarization than online. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's what their research says. I think what their research is telling them is that more people are seeing their news online, getting into their echo chamber, and then f- basically only using television as a background music, sort of the greatest hits to say, ah, this is a safe place of what I read online. So in other words, it's the online news that's creating the polarization, and TV is just literally you know, my little home base where I can not pass go and you know, collect 200 bucks. And TV networks, I think, understand this these days. So I come from TV, and I've been watching TV for the last 20 years, and I think that's one of the reasons that TV news is so absolutely god-awfully bad these days, and actually, this is even more insidious than what the research is presenting in this article, because whether it's CNN, MSNBC, Fox, any of the other news networks down the sort of, even down to the local TV level, they've stopped pretending that you watch to be informed. They've just, they've just full-on stopped pretending that that's the reason you're watching. The entirety of television news now is to be your safe place where you can watch the others. It's not you, it's the others. The others are coming for you. It might be climate change, it might be Republicans, it might be crime, it might be the FBI. Whoever your current horror clown show is, they're coming for you. And so you have to be sure to tune into your safe place so that you can continue to make sure that you know that we're here for you. We're your safe place. And we've got a subject matter expert celebrity who can tell you exactly why you're in your safe place. So where does that leave us? Well, it leaves us to me. I, my only option is, quite honestly, to turn off television news. I, I have stopped watching it full stop. I mean, I watched the local news for the weather and to see how the Dodgers are doing and see how the Lakers are doing. And then I turn the news off because I have just found it to be completely unwatchable these days in terms of getting any level of information um, as as we used to. And so the only that's the only way I can think of to deal with it, because this is a big problem. But it's not that TV is causing it and social media isn't. I think social media is the root cause of this, this or a root cause of this. And I think TV is just capitalizing on that and becoming sort of tribal, you know, safe places for this polarization. So that's my that's my rant. Did you say um, something around your own personal horror clown show? Is that was yeah? That I was right? thinking like the, yeah, I, yeah. That's yeah, br- that's brilliant. That's that's yeah. a string of words. It's like that the are, it, that right? It's like nice the little together. balloon. It's the balloon coming out of the, the gutter, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, if you will. Um, my rave, if you will, um, very quickly is so when I was a kid in the eighties. Uh, late 70s and 80s, my favorite, you know, so we, we've talked about Rolling Stone on this show before, but my favorite rock and roll magazine was Cream. Um, and Cream, for all of you kids out there, was really a rock and roll magazine that, I mean, it's the magazine that introduced the term punk rock. Um, it is, it, it focused in on heavy metal, 
rock and roll, punk rock, new wave, sort of, you know, true rock and roll. And it was just an amazing, wonderful rock and roll magazine. And I loved it as a kid. It, I absolutely read it. It was, it was wonderful. They have announced, they've had a website for a long time now. They, you know, they basically, they, they brought back the, the, the editorial website, which has all the archives, by the way, of the old magazine. And you can actually pay for subscription. But now they're bringing back the print of cream and and the, the the print version of cream and I couldn't be more excited. I think it's just awesome and I I'm I'm excited to subscribe to it and get it again because it was great as a kid and I'm hoping it's going to be great as an adult as well. Uh, nice. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Absolutely. Um launched a lot of there careers it seemed. Or oh god, it's to yeah. launch. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I just watched the um the documentary on um uh, I'm blanking on his name right now. The Rolling Stone editor and, um, uh, and and writer, and that was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was a pretty good documentary. So, what do you got going on? Uh, I'm in the middle of white paper, white paper, white paper, white paper. I I I somehow got uh, ensconced in like three different thought leadership papers that I'm writing at the moment. So, I am I am just fully embedded in Microsoft Word at the moment. So that's going to be my next you know few days certainly until next week anyway how about you uh well i'm working on uh my content marketing world keynote Ooh, uh, yes so i'm i'm doing that and i should probably do that too <laughs> you probably need to do that too because i think you yeah. have a keynote on wednesday and i have a keynote on I thursday do. yeah and i am planning to go to the browns home preseason opener this weekend dun 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 and uh and Deshaun Watson's got to perform better than the one for. Is he allowed to play? Six. Is he? Allowed, he's not he allowed play to play pre, preseason. Oh, he I can. thought. Yeah. Pre, well, maybe now that it's been handed down, but it, it would. They don't care about preseason games. They would only care about. I see. So. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, um, so yeah, that's what that's what we're doing. We've, we we right. saw the Guardians play yesterday. They had a big comeback win. Uh, nice. Very excited about the, lots of baseball. Now we're getting into football. My favorite season. Yours too. So it'll be yeah. Fun. Yankees look good this year. Boy, boy, holy smokers. Um, all right. Well, that is it. So we will be back again next week. I guess. Wow, it's just amazing you guess? how this, this year's. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> folks, maybe. we definitely will be back can, next week if I can find the time. Yeah, uh, exactly. In the meantime. As we decide whether we'll be back next week or not, and you want to get all the goodness of this podcast, the show notes, the links uh, to everything we talked about, or dive into any of the other 336 episodes, why don't you just get on over to our website, thisoldmarketing.site. Remember, we are still taking reviews. We will we we will still pay you uh, with Idea Coin or with Tilt Coin if you give us a review. We'd love it. We've they, they keep coming they in, keep so coming we're in. just going to keep asking. You, you you all want your Tilt and Idea coin yep. and we're going to yep. deliver that's right that's so right give so us do some that. reviews send us an email on this old marketing.net yep. and we will we will deliver and we have delivered and by the way by the way save yourself some time like when you send us sending that you've done it 
we pretty much trust you. But I mean, you can show us with the links and all that, but we pretty much trust. So just go ahead and include your rally. Just don't wait for us to, you're going to need to include that rally ID so that we can actually give you the, give you the stuff. So there just you go. Go ahead and do that. Yes. Um, and then also hashtag us up. Um, thank you to Heath Dingwell um, for the wonderful curated um, feed. It's on episode 15 now. I love the fact that he's putting it into episodes now. That's very funny. Um, and also to uh, uh, Igor Bialabradak, who also has some show notes this week, which were great. But, and all of you who have sent in um, wonderful hashtag this old marketing on Twitter show ideas. We love those. Keep those coming um, because they do help us program a show that you want. Uh, and until we see you next week, remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.